for example, let's say your best selling food item is in the smallest kitchen. Well, I said, why don't we put it in the biggest kitchen, you know, and that's, um, and it's like, oh, well, like that makes sense. So we can sell more of them. Um, and so it's just finding ways to, you know, when you put that guest perspective first, and then how do we deliver on it? Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically. Josh, how are you? Doing well, doing well. <laughs> you weren't quite sure there if you wanted to keep it as an adjective or an adverb, but I, I just wanted to, you know, make it fresh. You wanted a dramatic pause effect, <laughs> is what you really wanted to do. I was, I was going for the dramatic pause. Yeah, it was. Question for you. Yes. Throughout all of your travels, have you ever come across a geographic region that you have determined that whenever you go to that spot, you have to get a certain type of food? <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, I have. So you want to you hear what it is? It was a yes or no question. That's oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Please elaborate. Okay. So it actually stems from when I lived in this area. So I, I used to live in Minnesota, right? In the, the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And there is a, a deli there called Briano's and they have a kind of a submarine sandwich called the Briano Special. And it's kind of like an Italian, it's got sauce on it, and it's got this really great crusty bread. So when you ask me that question, like whenever I go to Minneapolis or in that region, I'm always, you know, trying to figure out, okay, how can I get down to Briano's, make that part of my route so I can get one of those, those sandwiches. It's not like a, you know, like a specific thing that you get only in Minneapolis, except that's where the, the deli happens to be. So you know, it's not like a, a regional delicacy, but that's what I think of when, when you say, is there a specific region in the food that I get? That's the one. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. How about you? So I have a few that come to mind. Okay. <laughs> so one of them that comes to mind is anytime I would be in Santa Monica, I would want to go to the Santa Monica pier and get a cheese on a stick from the hot dog stick stand, which I was very sad to learn recently is no longer there. Oh. So that tradition has been ended involuntarily by me. Oh. Uh, other things, I, I was recently traveling and I was in the Detroit airport and I grew up in Detroit and I'm a big fan of Coney Island. And I try to get to Coney whenever I'm in, uh, in Detroit these days. Uh, and then another one in South Florida, which I'm there a lot. So I, I used to make a point. Strangely, I would go more when I would drive to South Florida from Orlando than I do now flying in, but Las Padas, they have multiple locations throughout the greater Fort Lauderdale area. One of the best deli sandwiches 
I've ever had. And like, it's so authentic. The staff is mean. They yell at you. They throw your sandwich across the counter. It's, it's a whole experience, even just before you take your first bite. And then another one, which I decided very recently because I've now only had it once, but there is a deli in Las Vegas called Seagull's Bagel Mania. And that now I've determined after going there once that anytime I'm in Las Vegas, I don't care what side of the city I'm on, I'm going to make a point to get up. There's very close to the convention center. So it's kind of towards the north end of the strip. Uh, but that's now what I am just going to have to do every single time. Is that where you got that like red encrusted spicy hot bagel? No, that oh. <laughs> was Steingold's Deli. That was right down the street from where I live, actually. Okay. <laughs> That's when I got an epic Novalox sandwich. So, oh, okay. And a Hamantaschen, because it was the day after the holiday of Purim. But that's another story for another time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that two of our, our, our food groups were sandwiches. Mm, that's true. Right. La Spada, right. Is that what you yeah. said in, in mm -hmm. South Florida? And then mine was a, was a sandwich. So we may have to like do a sandwich off something. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say we have to open a sandwich shop and I was about to say, <laughs> yes, yes, we are absolutely doing that. That is sandwich been, pros been on my radar for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Or a deli or a deli. So, right. Yeah. 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 All right. Anyway, anyway, the reason for that <laughs> conversation is just, just to spark the idea of, regional food or food that is that is unique to a regional brand and and that ties in somewhat nicely to the guest that we have today who is jesse o'daniel she is the general manager of typhoon texas in austin they have multiple locations uh she recently came there from louisville kentucky louisville kentucky i believe i pronounced it correctly uh, both of which are, are known for their food cultures. So we are able to get into that with Jesse, but we get to talk all about uh, coming into the new role of general manager at Typhoon Texas and what the experience has been like for her so far. And at the time of this recording, uh, the park is gearing up to open for the 2022 season. So what I think is so fascinating about this conversation is I mean, Jessie is still fairly young in the industry, right, in, in terms of her age, but she's accomplished so much and has had so many different departments reporting up to her. It's really cool to hear her leadership perspectives, but also how she develops the leaders that are around her and, you know, kind of her philosophies and things like that. So it was super exciting to get to dive into all that kind of stuff with her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the things that we talk about, uh, for instance, one of the messages that uh, that she gives is putting your stamp on it, uh, which is a, a really cool philosophy that I think we can all embrace to say, how are we taking ownership of the roles that we're in and how are we leaving our mark and really creating our legacy in whatever whatever it is that we're doing within the organization and, and whatever capacity. Uh, so that's that's one of those that uh, that was a big takeaway from this episode. Yeah, I, I real, also really liked how she talked about, you know, if you want to make more money, look at how you can serve the guests better, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just look at ways to nickel and dime people and, you know, turn them upside down and shake the change out of their pockets. Um, but instead, look at it as a service. And I know that's something you are very passionate about is serve the guests in a way that they will remember and they want to repeat. And ultimately, that's going to what going to be what leads you to higher revenue. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And then tying it in with the service culture, we talk about the importance of soft skills and how those are 
are absolutely critical to developing a career and uh, and building oneself as a leader within the organization, or or at least being a uh, uh, a productive, valuable employee for the organization. So is it time for us to um, step aside and let Jesse put her stamp on this episode of the Attraction Pros podcast? Let's do it. Jesse O'Daniel, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? Howdy. I'm doing good. How are you? you guys we're good and howdy right back thank you so much for being here uh jesse can you give us kind of a, a quick introduction for yourself and, and talk a little bit about your career yeah sure so um i just recently made the transition um into a new role in january as the general manager of typhoon texas water park in austin uh one of the four parks owned and operated by the peak group um a relatively new entity, and we've been seeing a lot of growth and expansion, uh, which is why this role became available. I'm very grateful for it. Prior to that, I spent eight seasons at Kentucky Kingdom and Hurricane Bay in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I grew up. And I started on the front lines as a ticket taker um, and kind of moved up manager. And then I managed a little more and then managed a little more. Then I senior managed a little bit and then I directed a little bit and then I inverted my way up into a vice president role. Um, and went through a, a whole lot of ups, downs, good times all around, um, and learned a lot in my eight years at Kentucky Kingdom. So, and now you're general managing. Yes, now yeah. I'm general managing a little bit. Yeah. yeah. How's that process been? What What's the adjustment been like? I uh, getting into the new role with Typhoon Texas, and tell us just uh, what this time has been like for you. Yeah, you know, I was really lucky in coming from. Uh, the role that I was in to now as a vice president at Kentucky Kingdom. Um, my title was vice president of, of guest experience. And so I oversaw all of the guest facing operations. And so I oversaw everything on the attractions and operations and safety side, as well as the revenue side, which is kind of a unique combo. And I also had the pleasure because, you know, locally owned park, I had the, I had the opportunity to work. Um, I did PR at Kentucky Kingdom for a couple of years. I worked closely with marketing on social media, signage. I got to hire graphic designers and work with them. And so I had such a variety of exposure and opportunity there that it really suited me well uh, because I'd done kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and so transitioning to the uh, general manager role, uh, one of the biggest things um, that I, I was intimidated by was kind of the maintenance side of things and, and kind of being the person who, you know, not that I was out there turning any wrenches or anything, uh, but being the person who, you know, at the end of the day is responsible for all um, things that happen at the at, at the park. So um, that was intimidating. But as I've dug into it a little bit more, um, you know, I actually from the attraction side knew a lot, um, you know, just about the standards and how the industry works and and all the seminars I've attended over the years, all the people I've connected with. Um, I was actually pretty well suited still learning a lot every day. I definitely have much to learn, um, but definitely know where I can help find help and find those resources. Uh, so it's it's been interesting. Excellent. Jesse, I wonder if you could um, dive in a little deeper um, because I know that a lot of people moving into leadership roles, that can be intimidating. And then, you know, going to a, a completely new park and that kind of thing. And you mentioned, you know, the maintenance part of it. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of how you overcame that? I understand you still have more to learn, as you said, but how, <laughs> how, you, how you've been overcoming that intimidation, um, uh, especially with the maintenance department? 
Yeah, I'll say too, it's it's a lot. It's especially in up um, young females coming up through the industry. Maintenance is definitely viewed um, kind of as the man's world. And a lot of times um, you'll have maintenance. Some of your most knowledgeable maintenance um, individuals are decades older because they've been doing it for so long. And it can be very intimidating um, to come in and try to have an opinion about something when you're going up against decades or long time of, you know, real hands-on experience. Um, but part of what helped me kind of overcome that hurdle is just leaning on the industry resources that I've kind of acquired over time, the IAPA seminars at expos, the webinars, you know, going to Ames conference and just, and also being aware that I'm not always going to know, I'm not going to know the answer every time. I'm not going to know if what's happening is always right or wrong. Uh, but I do, um, try to trust myself in knowing the people on the team and knowing how to oversee people to get the best out of them and, and hiring the right people in the right places uh, that ultimately leads to the best products. Yeah, absolutely. I So in the time that you've been there so far, uh, has there anything that has kind of jumped out as being maybe one of the biggest surprises that you hadn't necessarily expected coming into the role? Um, <laughs> I definitely... Um, I, I have a lot of opportunity and I've been given a wide open lane really and kind of even been told by the wonderful, uh, you know, my boss, who's the president of the Peak Group and even the CEO of the Peak Group and some of the owners and investors in the Tycoon Texas brand, um, you know, they're like, put your stamp on it, make it yours, like make Typhoon Texas awesome as best as it can be. And we're here to support you and we're here to fund it and we're here to help you make it happen. Um, you know, and if I just finished my uh, third month here, so it's kind of interesting to kind of just be kind of given the keys and say, you know, we trust you, which has been um, so interesting, uh, but something that I really, um, you know, take a lot of responsibility for and, and carry that and make sure that I'm delivering on those expectations. Um, I'm also surprised by how um, quickly I've become acquainted with some things on kind of that maintenance attraction side that I wasn't so exposed to, like knowing where the sump pumps are and the GFIs and the in pump room too, and, and understanding um, a lot more of the maintenance side, just so I can be a better steward to fighting for the budget, the money, um, and making better decisions about purchasing. Um, so I'm surprised kind of at how 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 easy it kind of was to learn not easy but how it all starts to make sense once you get that big picture sure you know, I love that aspect of being able to put your stamp on it, right? And making it yours. Yeah. Um, I actually had a recent conversation that I'd love to get your your feedback on because somebody said that, you know, to the, to their, you know, up and coming leader, they said, we want to make it, want you to make it yours. But that up and coming leader had no idea how to do that. You know what I mean? Because like, like yeah. they hadn't been around enough. So when you hear that, what kind of what kind of opportunities do you see to to make that operation yours and put Jesse's stamp on it? Yeah, I think um, obviously the lifeblood of the business is the in-park spending. And so anytime you can invest um, and get your return on that. So, you know, whether it be expanding your retail product offering, things that will drop right to the bottom line. Um, or for example, let's say your best selling food item is in the smallest kitchen. Well, I said, why don't we put it in the biggest kitchen, you know, and that's, um, and it's like, oh, well, like that makes sense. So we can sell more of them. Um, and so it's just finding ways to, 
you know, when you put that guest perspective first, and then how do we deliver on it? If the guests are always waiting in long lines for something, how can we make that faster, more efficient? And then what investment will it take to do that? You satisfy the guests, you make their experience better, everything else falls into place. Yeah. How much of this would you say is uh, your new knowledge of the park as you're coming into it, but also I would say the, the fresh perspective of coming in from a little bit of a different lens uh, from a different park and being able to almost look at it with fresh eyes and how has that been like of maybe having those conversations or maybe those suggestions and recommendations for things that, that might be good ideas that perhaps just hadn't been implemented uh, for whatever reason before? Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of things where, you know, and uh, where the staff um, that my team now who, who has been here is like, yeah, that's something that we've talked about for a long time. Um, and it's not something that we were able to do or, or didn't have time, et cetera. Um, I think it's a combination of things. Definitely the fresh eyes is, is great. So, you know, my first tour of the park, I, I saw things that people saw for years and, and glazed right over because it's just always been there. Um, and then our industry is kind of in that rebound mode. And so, we, everybody in the industry experienced a lot of revenue growth last year, even if attendance numbers weren't quite where they were in 2019. So it's a very convenient timing that the business is, is good and bouncing and, and we're looking to grow, grow, grow. Um, and it's like, and then I come in with a bunch of new ideas because I've never been here. And I was like, well, why don't we do it like this, do that? So it's really convenient timing um, uh, because I know, and I'm sure a lot of operators are like this, the last few years, it's harder to make changes and and try to get investment for things that just make the operation easier or more efficient uh, because, you know, it was save, it was save, those we didn't know what was gonna happen, what if another variant came out? Um, and so now it's like flipping that mindset now as we continue to rebound. You know, Jesse, before we started recording, you mentioned that, you know, your team was adjusting to you and you're adjusting to your team. So can you yes. talk a little, little about how that's going? Yes, I've been told. <laughs> that I move at a very fast pace. And I was like, I, you know, I just, I just, um, to me, it just feels normal. And actually I go to bed a lot of times. I'm like, man, I need to do more in a day. Um, and so, uh, it's been, um, it's been really good though. And so it's like a lot of, um, you know, as a leader hearing and listening to any pain points or some of those ideas that have just sat dormant and not been acted on, you know, as a leader, I can be kind of the person that says, okay, let's do that. Great idea here's the money, like, let's, let's make it happen. Um, and so trying to find those opportunities. Um, and I balance a lot. Um, you know, when I, uh, when I have new leaders of kind of having that level set and, and teaching from a very, a very low foundation, like assume like the lowest common denominator, right? Like assume the knowledge base is small so that we can build and make sure that everybody's at the same level regardless of who they were led by in the past, what other property they came from or what have you, so that we can all be on the same page and function tightly as a team. Um, and so I've definitely been doing a lot of that. Definitely referencing, um, Matt, all of your books um, and all the things I've learned from them and, and teaching them to the team um, and letting them know I for sure did not come up with everything, but uh, just passing along everything I've learned along the way, um, especially the lessons I, I learned by, uh, making the mistake, you know? Yeah. Well, I was going to say so thank you for the shout out, but go ahead. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, so I have a question, kind of going back to uh, something you mentioned a few minutes ago about the importance of in-park spending and that being yep. uh, one of the biggest revenue drivers. So this might be switching gears a little bit, but I want to tie this in with guest experience as well. And when I you figured. talk about, <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> for a change, you know, uh, to look at ways that you're able to both enhance in-park spending as well as enhance guest experience is one of the things that always kind of gets me excited of when guests yeah. see value and see excitement while at the same time are spending more money. So there's more of that. There's more of that per cap spend that's that's happening. Are you able to share a little bit of what that looks like or maybe new ideas that are being infused into Typhoon Texas? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's that's the key, right? If the more um, that you service the guests, you're going to drive that revenue. If, if you're looking for ways to drive revenue, look back at how you can better serve your guests in the park. Because that's that's how you have that's how you get money to be spent, right? That's um, short lines or lines you want to get into, <laughs> long lines you do not. Um, and so it's finding ways to um, to to expedite to add some efficiency. Um, so some of the things, um, as I kind of mentioned, is is putting the right things in the right location. Um, and so we kind of adjusted our model. So a lot of the impulse spending, so your dip and dots, your pretzels, your funnel cakes, we put the impulse spending closer to the wave pool because you're gonna smell it, you're gonna see it. Oh, I don't need a funnel cake, oh, but it looks so good. It looks so good, I'm gonna get one. Um, whereas something like a burger or a pizza or chicken tenders, your lunch, whatever it, whatever it may be, that's kind of the staple in your day, it's a little bit of a farther walk but it's in the biggest kitchen, so we can serve you the quickest, we can sell more of it, and we are kind of assuming guests are gonna go uh, where they need to go, but it's also an indoor air-conditioned dining area, so it's a lot of those guest accommodations as well. Um, so it's really balancing, um, pushing the guests out of the box a little bit, but also offering them something, something in exchange and making their day easier in the long run even if it feels like maybe they have to walk farther for something. Yeah, I think we all need funnel cake all the time. <laughs> we'll right just, I'll just put that out there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was really, really intrigued by what you said about, you know, when you want to look at how to increase revenue, look at how you can serve the guests better, right? And I think yeah. you, you made a great example of that with the, with the food. So how do you, how do you instill that that mindset to other people where maybe they're just thinking bottom line, bottom line, but it's, it's really about the guest first and then the bottom line will, will come if you're smart about it. But yeah, I'm exactly. curious how you instill that. Exactly. Well, it's, and it's a lot of the same old practices, right? Like it's, you, you want to, you want to be very efficient with your line and process your line efficiently. And so if, if it makes it more efficient for your team members to buy an extra set of smallwares for food and beverage, so that they can go faster. Well, that's that's a way to serve the guest. And that's a, you know, it could be a $5 spoon that, that will help portion quicker so that you can get the, whatever it is out the door. Um, and so instead of thinking of kind of having that line of, okay, we need to, we need to be safe and we need to make the food directly. It's like, how, how do we enhance that overall experience and focus on what really matters and how the guests are feeling about it? Same thing with portion control. Everybody knows you have to control portions because bottom line and cost of sales and, and you don't want to have waste, et cetera, et cetera. But think of it from a guest standpoint. If I get a really cheesy pizza one visit 
And then the next visit, it has barely any cheese on it. I'm dissatisfied and it's inconsistent. It's also affecting your bottom line. But if you focus on what the guest is dealing with, the rest will start to translate in line because it's all connected. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. So this might be getting a little bit more granular here, but your transition from a dry park to a water park, and I know Kentucky uh -huh. Kingdom has, has yeah. a water park. We're talking about ancillary in-park spending. Uh -huh. how, how has that mentality shifted a little bit in the way that uh, in the way that food and beverage and retail is presented to guests in a water park versus a dry park, knowing that uh, the way they're spending money might be a little bit different or their wallets and their locker. Or obviously there's, there's technology that, that can now solve that, but right. curious as far as, uh, as far as those differences that you're addressing now. Yeah, it is. It, it is quite, it, there's a lot of difference and a lot of nuance to it. Um, and so one thing that was kind of, I was tasked, I, the park hasn't opened yet. So it's hard for me to say, but I was tasked with assessing the flow of entry and exit. I was like, it's very difficult to do without actually seeing it. So I actually made some modifications to that. Fingers crossed. I feel really good about the adjustments, uh, but we'll see. The guests will tell. Um, but it's interesting because at a bigger park or a park with a water park attached, the location of your changing rooms and lockers, it's all very different. And so in a water park, it's it, you kind of got to think about it different because it's not like you're coming to do that for the day. When you're coming to a theme park, you may, the guests have a variety. Some are water park for the day only, some are half and half. Some want their locker accessible while they're at the water park and the dry park. So there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more, there's a lot more variety. It's a little bit easier to cater to the guests in a water park environment because it's got a little bit more of that one track. Like I'm coming with the family to get in the water. You don't have as many guests that don't like that. That's why they came. Um, but if we find a way um, to tap into a little bit more guests that maybe can hang out, grab a beer, hang out at the patio, listen to live music while their kids are playing in the pools and things like that, then we start to grow and expand even beyond our current audience. And so it's, it's finding some of those nuances and adjustments and, and flow, but, but ultimately providing the best product possible. So it's not going to surprise you that I'm going to take a look at things from the employee standpoint, right? <laughs> um, but also, you know, I, I think about, you know, going from a dry park to a, a water park. And somebody told me this uh, years ago, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this. She said, you know, you have the same employee issues in terms of, you know, working with friends and things like that, except at a water park, they're half naked, right? <laughs> so, so, so. I, I guess the, the question in there is what other issues or what other, what other challenges do you find with, and I know the park's not open yet, but maybe mm -hmm. there's, there's some anticipation of other issues or other even opportunities that you might have with a water park staff that you might not have at a hard park staff. Yeah. So it's been really interesting because I feel like a lot of times, especially, and this may be more of a function of being a larger unit, but you can come sometimes get that siloed department mentality of where like, I'm, I'm this department, I only do this, I do not go into those other areas, we do not help them, we do not speak, we do not associate, like we are this and that is it. Um, whereas, you know, a water park, we're a little bit, um, a little bit smaller in staff size. It's a little bit easier to build some of that crossover, 
almost to the point where it's like, you know, some members of the team will spend so much time being helpful and just doing what needs to get done. And because that is the mentality of just like get in there and get it done. Um, so you almost go on the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, when you go a little bit smaller, a little bit more, um, where a, a little bit more where everybody's kind of the same. Uh, everybody's kind of the same, focus on the same things. Um, whereas at the big park, there are so many moving parts, you know, and it's, you know, maintenance is mad at operations and operations is bad at maintenance and, and never do they speak or become friends. Like, um, at, at the water park, I've, I've got lifeguards who, who help the maintenance team in the off season, um, and actually know a lot about maintenance and they're, and they're good buddies and they're friends and they refer people and lifeguards who come back over here, join the, uh, join the maintenance team. And, and it's, it, it's got a lot of that, um, because they have to, because the team is a lot leaner. So everybody kind of leans on each other. Mm. So would you say then that it's a pretty strong benefit when employees are friends with other employees in other departments outside of work, that that could actually help enhance the work culture and overall productivity? I think, um, yes, there, there is a lot of benefit to just building that team so it is a unit and everybody is um kind of being mindful of everyone else so like um like a classic the classic example is like the team that's cleaning the grounds will have more work if retail unpacks other stuff and lets and trash blows in the wind and they don't go pick it up right it's all those sorts of things so it's like if you have a little bit more of that um tight knit to it people are a little bit more like okay i know I know so-and-so is going to have to clean that up who's, you know, who I'm friends with. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick that up. So, because, because we're all one unit and, and we're tight. Um, you can lose a little bit of that when you have, when you start to get more and more departments and you have more and more things going on. Um, it can be easier to get lost in just what you and your team need to do. Yeah. Because you don't know who those other people are, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's Jesse that's going to have to clean that up. Not yeah. from park services. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. More, it's more personable. I, I, I definitely see exactly. that. Um, exactly. I'm wondering if, if we could switch gears just a little bit, because I know that you are highly involved with IAPA. You've mentioned IAPA mm-hmm. a couple of times in seminars and things like that. Um, what role would you say that, you know, the networking and uh, being exposed to the larger industry has had on, on your career and your development? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say definitely huge. It's, it's part of why I really felt in love with the industry. Um, I loved my job and I loved what I did at Kentucky Kingdom, but I pushed and pushed and pushed until I finally got to go to Expo. And I was like, I will never miss one ever again. I just, um, and, and there's a lot to be learned and the Expo floor is great, it's fun, but it's it's those connections with people and, and being able to, you know, to talk to other people. I'll never forget one time, and this was back in my Kentucky Kingdom days, um, I was making a call on behalf of the Young Professionals Committee about the mentor-mentee program to somebody who was a participant, and she so happened to work at Volcano Bay um, in operations. And then I asked her a question, I was like, and so I was like, okay, a non-mentor-mentee question, 
how do you keep the white beach chairs clean? Because <laughs> um, we can't figure that out. And so and it was like the ultimate solution was done dish soap. And it was like, who knew, you know? Um, and so it, it's just funny the way that, you know, it, it translates no matter how big your park is versus another. It's like so many of those same things are always, it's, it's like the same for everybody. It's the ultimate common ground. Um, and yeah, and, and that's the best part. Yeah. And then it's, it's kind of everyone looking out for each other to solve each other's issues, even if you might be competing from a business standpoint that there's so much that can be set aside in certain, uh, in certain conversations to be able to uh, foster the overall growth of the industry. Uh, but you mentioned Young Professionals Committee and the Mentor Mentee Program and uh, being chair of the Young Professionals Committee. I'm curious for your take or, or why it's so important for you to be involved with really developing the next generation of leaders within the industry. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's so important to me because I just, I had no idea. I had no idea um, that it was all out there. And, and even as I, I didn't even realize making a career at Kentucky kingdom, but much less how much is beyond that and how, how big the network is, how global things are, uh, that all the different facets within the attractions from, you know, point of sale providers, or, uh, there's so many different types of consulting manufacturers and suppliers, you know, you could, you know, you could love lifeguarding, but they didn't go be an Ellis auditor. Like there are so many different lanes and so much opportunity. I, I just had no idea. And so it's like, if I can be a steward um, of conveying that to somebody else and it makes a difference and changes uh, their direction in life one way, or the, one way or another, helps them find their calling, I'm happy to do that um, because it's been, it's just been so great for me. Um, so if I can do that for somebody else, that's, uh, that's about as good as it gets. Yeah. So Jesse, what would you say are some of the more common pieces of advice or guidance that you give to people maybe just coming into the industry or starting a career? What, what are the things that tend to pop up? Um, I talk a lot about um, um, something that I know as a, as a young female coming up through that I faced, you know, because when I started full-time at Kentucky Kingdom, I was um, 19 years old. And so from the time that I was 19 to the time that I was 27, I changed a lot <laughs> and I interacted with people differently and I got more professional. I grew up a little bit, uh, but a lot of, um, it can be difficult because a lot of people saw me as like 19 for forever. And it's like, how do we have a 19 year old vice president? And I was like, you know, it, it's been eight years, you know, I've, <laughs> things have changed. So, um, <laughs> and so it's, it's, uh, it's that kind of, you know, and, and I see other people come up through the industry that kind of deal with that too. They're curve breakers or, or they want to be a curve breaker or they're, they're somebody that kind of is outside the norm and they're trying to deal um, or, or best work with their peers and get the results they need. So a lot of the uh, advice I always give, you know, is try to be patient and do what I call play the long game and just, and, and just try to find uh, different ways to interact with different components of your team, both working with you, for you, alongside you, and people you're working for, um, and, and kind of taper your approach. Um, one method may not work. Uh, you may be able to talk to um, your ops team one way, but if you talk to the maintenance team the same way, it's just not going to work. Or it might, but it, if it doesn't, 
it's not getting discouraged and trying to figure out what way will work and just keep at it. Um, and that's, that's a lot of the advice I give because a lot of what I've seen that young people in our industry, they're so smart, they're driven, they want it. But a lot of times it's those soft skills that can be the hardest mm -hmm. and not as many people take the time to teach those soft skills um, because that's ultimately the difference between being really good and being really great. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love what you said about playing the long game too. And, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have, have intentions to do that, but at the same time, I, some people can be impatient or perhaps mm -hmm. persistent or a little uh, yeah. combination of, of both those. Uh, so I think that, uh, that that can sometimes be a challenge, but recognize that, you know, everything you're doing today is, is setting that foundation for the future. I, yeah. uh, so to kind of put maybe a, a little bit of a, a different spin on, on the question here is what advice do you wish you would have received at 19 when you became <laughs> a full-time employee at, at Kentucky kingdom that, uh, that perhaps you now give today, or you think, man, I wish I knew that back then. Um, I mean, I guess probably if I could, if I could go back and, and tell myself, I guess be like, you know, re relax, you're going to get there. Keep doing what you're doing. Have a little bit more of that patience. Um, you're going to get, you're going to get where you want to go because you're driven to do that. Um, Cause it can be so easy, especially our industry can be very intense, especially for seasonality um, because you only have so many days to make all of your money and, and everything feels super high staked because it's like, a week during the seven day operating season feels like a month. And so when somebody, you know, when you're asking for something and you don't get it for a few days, it, it, it feels like the world is ending. But, um, you know, if I could go back and tell myself it's okay, if you, you can't control what you can't control, roll with it and just keep doing what, what you know how to do. Um, that, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been a good piece of advice for 19 year old me. Sure. Sure. You know, it's, it's funny when you said, you know, how do we have a 19 year old vice president when, you know, <laughs> but I think that that stigma sticks with people based on their first impression. Right. And, yeah. and yep. so people see you as the 19 year old Jesse, when really you yeah. have matured a lot, you've grown a lot. Um, so I'm curious though, if you were to go back and look at what you did know and learned at 19, are there still lessons that you take from there at that point in your life that you're still using now? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, so many. Um, uh, one time, uh, the CEO of our company, um, well-known in the industry, um, Ed Hart, I'm, I'm 19. I'm the guest services manager, right? I don't typically get an audience with him very often. He calls me up to his office, shut the door. I was like, Oof. He wanted to let me know that sometimes when I'm speaking in meetings, I repeat myself <laughs> and I was like, got it. So we were just having a conversation about how I can do better. Got it. Like how I can communicate better. I was like, so this isn't it. All right, good. So, um, but I'll never forget, you know, in, in part of why he, he was like, I just wanted you to know that he's like, because you, you have such potential and you've got so so much room that you can grow and, and do. And so he was like, and I, I just wanted to take the time to tell you that so that you can continue to get better. Um, and I remember that he would, he would do the same thing. Um, Ed specifically, if I touched my hair out of nervousness and he would call me out on it all the time. Uh, and when he was training me on 
public relations speaking as I kind of moved up through the ranks and I was doing PR for Kentucky Kingdom, counting my number of ums, like, you know, and so, and it was not a place of like malicious. It was like, he knew, he knew I could rise and achieve. And I think about a lot of those lessons. Um, he and a lot of the team at Kentucky Kingdom definitely saw something in me when it was a very raw form um, and helped me, um, helped me tremendously. Um, my, my mentor um, who worked for Mr. Hart, she uh, um, helped me repeatedly with, um, with all of my soft skills. She knew nothing. She really didn't know anything about operations. And that was fine. I could get operations. That was easy. I was like, what I needed help with was the soft skills and the interpersonal and the emails and, and how to get what you need out of your coworkers. And she taught me a lot of that. And, um, and so, and I never forget the lesson about uh, not showing your emotion on your face in meetings. So if you disagree, like frowning doesn't help anything. <laughs> and so there's a way to go about disagreeing to get more towards the solution and, and being constructive rather than just being uh, disagreeable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I've learned so much on that side. Um, and thank goodness somebody took the time to tell me. <laughs> yeah. I, what was it about the way that Ed gave that feedback to you that you knew it was coming from a standpoint of being constructive, aside from him just telling, I'm telling you this because I see the, the potential, <laughs> yeah. because I, I think it's, it's important to, to kind of like get into those specific areas of communication that perhaps you've been able to, to emulate that when you now are, are on the other side of the desk and speaking yeah. to an employee of saying, hey, I, I want to have this constructive conversation with you, but you know that you don't want it to come across as punishment or malicious, or you're saying um too many times and right. you want it so that they receive it and saying, wow, yeah. Jesse is giving me some really good information that I can take to improve myself because she sees the potential and I'm going to walk out of this meeting, even if it's a disciplinary meeting, mm -hmm. feeling great about myself. Yeah, that one is, um, I know exactly what you're saying. That is, um, that's a lot easier, I guess, said than done. It takes a lot of time to really build that lane of communication so that it is known um, where it's coming from. But what sold it for me was the action behind it. Like I got more responsibility. I was promoted. I moved up, like, um, you know, I got, uh, I got told when I did something wrong, but I also got a pat on the back if something went really well. So, um, so, you know, it was that building that, um, I understood, I felt as though my best intentions were, or my best interests were always in mind. And so when you feel that it's a lot easier to receive, um, and it's hard to give feedback to, um, a direct report if they don't feel that you have that. And that's so much easier than to just say, I have something, I have some criticism that will help you. Like, um, <laughs> are you able to listen to it? Are you feeling receptive? Like, um, and so, you know, and I'm dealing with that with uh, my new team now is, you know, so it's, it's picking and choosing what's important um, and being timely about it um, and just working that relationship so that it's a lot easier to receive that uh, from their end. Yeah, it definitely is based on a relationship and you have to, you have to have a groundwork, uh, a foundation uh, before you can, you know, launch into those different things because, you know, to your point about feeling supported, but also being corrected at the same time, right? right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. a, that's a very delicate 
um, uh, line to, 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 to walk. Um, so I'm curious too, just about the industry itself, because you can tell yeah. how passionate you are about it. You know, in all of our interactions, we, we know how passionate you are about the industry. So kind of a two-part question. First of all, have you always been passionate? Like, is this something you wanted to do <laughs> since you were really little? And if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Yeah, no, this was, I didn't, this wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. Um, I mean, like I enjoyed going to the water park and stuff like as a kid, but never thought much more about it. Right. Um, uh, but what, what made me apply to Kentucky kingdom was it had been closed and abandoned for five years and re and re, uh, reopened. So typically prior, um, when you're in high school, you like get your season pass to Kentucky kingdom and you go, I hang out. Thing and you don't have to have your parents because you're old enough now. So I, the, I'm the generation that kind of missed that because it was, it was closed all years of my high school experience. And so that's why when it reopened, I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, um, I barely even went as a, as a kid. It's just not something our family had, I'm one of four. So it was not something that was easy of a venture to take on for our parents. So we didn't go very often. Um, I was like, oh, that would be a cool, unique job. Um, but so I started working it on in the summertime while I was actually a pre-med student. Um, so I was studying um, up to the point to where um, I teetered on whether or not I was going to accept the full-time position. I was still a full-time student, um, but I ended up accepting full-time salary because I was like, you know, this job's fun. <laughs> like, why not? I guess. Um, and then it got kind of to the point where it was like, I had to start imagining what it'd be like to leave and like keep going to school, uh, which sounded terrible. And I was like, um, and I actually did take the MCAT exam. Um, and like the whole week leading up to it, I was in so much turmoil. Like I felt internally ill because it was like, this could be my last summer at Kentucky Kingdom. Like, that's so terrible. Like, I don't want to do that. And so, and I just, and uh, I just told the team at Kentucky Kingdom, I was like, I can't leave. I was like, why would I leave? I can't do it. Um, and then they immediately started giving me more responsibility and building me up to stay forever, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> so yeah, not even in the realm of possibilities. Um, in fact, trying to explain to my parents um, what I was going to do instead of going to medical school was a really interesting conversation, but I don't, I have zero regrets. I'm thrilled with the choice. So <laughs> You know, it's interesting because I, I, when we look at the industry and we look at people uh, who are uh, who are young in the industry right now and and getting started, um, a lot of them are I would say like bridging their education with their employment and trying to really make the most of both of them, uh, which is good, obviously, like for you know for very you know noble reasons, of course. I how important do you think the educational background is for someone to have a prosperous career in the industry? Um, I'm probably not the biggest proponent of saying like, you have to have a degree in order to, you know, get a management job or um, those things are helpful. I mean, really more than anything, what I see in a potential employee who is in college or finishing is that they have um, time management skills. <laughs> they have some, some of that organizational skills. They know how to balance their time. Maybe they're a good multitasker. So I see a lot more of the skills associated with somebody who, um, but as far as what the education content is, um, I, don't, I don't see it as something that is so 
critical to the job function. But now let's say you have like a hospitality degree. What I see is if you got a hospitality degree, you must be passionate about this industry, which is a plus, you know, for building somebody up for the long term. Um, but less important to me, uh, the intangibles are what's important, you know, the things that you can't teach, the wanting to be there, the drive, the passion. That's that's what's hard to find. Um, and so that to me is way more appealing than than any any other uh, any other piece of education or anything like that. Mm. So in your role now, and, and certainly when you were at Kentucky Kingdom, you're responsible for bringing on new leaders, you know, educating and, and developing new leaders. So how do you identify the people that are really passionate and ready to move up and probably hopefully have some of those time management skills and some of the soft skills? Like, yeah. like how, how are you identifying the next leaders to, to put some investment in? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they're, uh, it's like, you know, it when you see it, it's, it's a very interesting, it's a mix. It's somebody who sometimes they can even be a little bit annoying. They want to know everything. Well, why did we do that? Well, what's going on over there? Well, what happened? Um, and I'm like, does it pertain to you? <laughs> but that's typically a sign. That's typically a good sign of somebody who is engaged with what's going on and they want to know more because they want to or, or hopefully will want to achieve more, move up or be more involved or get more responsibility. Um, and it's two, it, it's the ones that are an example um, to all the team members all the time. Uh, leaders can never have bad days. I teach that lesson a lot because um, it starts at the top always. Um, and then they're, they're the ones that hold team members accountable. They're not, they're not the buddy. They're not the, they're not everybody's friend. They're not the class clown. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the one that they're the ones that they want to know, they want to be part, they want to, you know, they're always kind of chomping at the bit a little bit and kind of always in your ear, like when you walk outside and they want to talk to you all the time. Um, that's some of the good attributes. Um, but even uh, probably the best ones are even the ones that kind of do it quietly. Um, that just come in, they do their job, they do, they do it really well, they follow everything, they lead the best they can. Um, and they give it all they have, um, and they don't have to tell you about it. <laughs> Those are typically the best ones. Those are the ones that are really rare. And But again, you know them when you see them because you know they're just always doing what they're supposed to be doing. Those are the best. <laughs> if you could give a definition to the term soft skills in the way that presents itself as being these important characteristics of, of the job, whether it's coming in the frontline role or moving up to leadership, how would you sum up what soft skills refers to? Uh, I guess to me, it's like your communication skills, written, verbal, nonverbal. Um, you know, it kind of connects to the way that you present yourself to people, but it ultimately kind of drives Soft skills kind of drive your perception and the way that other people perceive you, uh, which is a very important um, aspect, even though it's much harder to control how you are perceived. Um, you can't control everything, but the parts that you can control, you want to convey the right things for your, um, you know, whatever your role may be, but maybe it's you want to be respected or, um, you know, you want to be listened to. And so you have to convey yourself and, and communicate in ways that facilitate that. Yeah, and I, I'm so glad you brought up communication because that's the first thing that popped to my mind when Josh said soft skills. And, you know, it's interesting to hear people talk about soft skills now because 
you know, they've said that we've called them soft skills for so long that we, we almost think that they're, they're easier because they're softer, but they really should, <laughs> yeah. they're the harder skills to, to right. master, right? I mean, yes. they really are. Um, <laughs> yes. So it's, it's something that, you know, we, we definitely have to invest in people. We definitely have to, you know, give them the, the opportunity to learn and grow. Um, and, and I think you said it earlier, like you can learn operations, right? Mm-hmm. And other people can too. It's the, it's the perception lessons. It's the, yeah. you know, how do you carry yourself in a meeting? How do you communicate with people? All those type of things are really what will define your reputation. And ultimately, if people are going to want to work with you or not. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so Jesse, there, there's one other question that, that we have to ask that is very regional in, in nature. Um, and I'm not even sure what one of these things is. So I'm just going to ask it. So what is better, a Louisville hot brown or Austin barbecue? Oh, man. You know, growing up in um, Louisville, as we say it, you have to really um, not articulate to say it correctly. Um, Half choke on it a little bit, Louisville. (laughs) So (laughs) um, the hot brown, um, hot browns are really good, but it's, you know, they're okay. Um, It's named after the Brown Hotel, which is still standing in Louisville. It's downtown. It's very scenic. It's very beautiful. Um, They're good, but God, Austin barbecue it like changes your life you thought <laughs> if you've ever thought you've had barbecue delete it and come to texas because it's like it's unbelievable even like gas station barbecue is better than other barbecue that i've had it's it's unreal well, that's and not fair actually... you have buckies you can't you can't <laughs> call that gas station barbecue so. <laughs> we do oh man i it never gets old i stop every time but um uh yeah no Austin it, it's such a great city now I'll say nothing beats the Louisville bourbon that's for sure I'm not a big uh bourbon enthusiast but um but the best is in Louisville um Louisville's got other fun facts like they uh, they invented the cheeseburger so they're I, I gotta learn the fun facts of Austin I know they have a bat bridge that I haven't had the experience of seeing but where all the bats fly out from under the bridge at night um but yeah no uh austin's a great city it's it's been a really fun transition so yeah and and lots to explore so yeah i i put that question in because i've i've had both i had a a hot brown at the brown hotel oh perfect and i was trying to explain it to matt earlier and i just had to like scroll (laughs) through my instagram to find the one picture of it for for those who don't know can you just give like the the quick like it's it's very layered there's a lot that goes into it Right. Like an, yeah. it's like an open faced turkey kind of sandwich, but that really doesn't do it justice. Hot, melty, cheesy, bacon, <laughs> deliciousness. I think there's a tomato in it somewhere. A tomato. Basically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I can't remember the exact order, but it's like, it's such a, it's perfect. Like lunch. It's very comfort food. Um, you know, just when you need you know, if I need something that just reminds me of home, I'll, I'll have that. I do remember having those <laughs> growing up, oddly enough, <laughs> as like a, you know, yeah, like a comfort meal. So. And I think it is on Texas toast, isn't it? So you uh, it. you're is probably it? right. I don't know. I, I had it once. I was glad that I had it. <laughs> I, and, and I, I, I agree with your sentiment about, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> about the comparison to Austin barbecue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, like I said, bourbon unmatched. And of course the Louisville slugger. There's oh. no other baseball bat to even use. Right. So now those are unbeatable. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Uh, 
Jesse, this has been so much fun. As we start to wind this down, if people want to learn more about Typhoon Texas or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you set them? Yeah, of course, we've got typhoontexas.com. Uh, you can reach me directly, jesse.odaniel at typhoontexas.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, so search me. Hopefully, you should find me. My name's not too common, I don't think. <laughs> um, Typhoon Texas and the Peak Group both have um, accounts on LinkedIn as well where you can follow for updates and see what's happening. Awesome. Well, Jesse, this is this has been great. I've loved every second of it. Um, so thank you for being with us here today. Um, and for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.